Let me simply begin this morning by saying thank you to Brother George for stepping in and helping us in Brother Mark's absence today. Katie and Andrew for sharing that song with us. Three nails and a cross. That's what my salvation cost. That's true for all of us. You probably noticed when you came in, there's still lights. There's still candles. There's still a nativity. Driving home from my sons the other evening, I thought to myself, you know, Christmas is over again. It comes and it goes every year. But as I was driving, I noticed that there were still homes lit up all across the countryside. And when we made it back to Wichita, even though it was like driving in a monsoon, homes were lit up all across the city. And I thought to myself, you know, as long as the lights are up, it's still on our minds. We've got to stop and think about it. A new year's coming, much like the one before, and the one before that, and before that, and before that. On the radio, I was going to stop to Christmas music. So glad they're going to stop playing that now. I love it, but it gets tiresome. And I heard a song I hadn't heard for quite some time. It's been covered by numerous groups and bands. One recently, a contemporary band that most of our students would know, Casting Crowns. I heard the bells. I began to think about the words that were penned by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. In his poem, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day, Longfellow was swallowed in depression and angst. He had, over the previous several years, suffered immeasurable loss in his own life. He had seen up close and personally the the horrors of the American Civil War. His children were participants. As he reflected on the story of the nativity, he thought about the words that the angel had spoken on the hillside to the shepherds. And on peace, goodwill to all men. And he found himself wondering, where is that peace? People are still asking that question today. Where is the peace? I want you to know this morning that God is always true. God is always faithful. And what God says he will do, he does. And so if you are one of those who says, no, we're still waiting on peace on earth, I want you to know you're wrong. God has fulfilled his pledge, and I want to show you this morning how that has been done. I want to show you how you can have perfect peace for a new year. Perfect peace for a new year. If you brought a Bible, I want you to take it and turn to Isaiah chapter 26. We're going to look together at just a a few verses this morning. 
I know a lot of people uh, are, are hung up on this. There is no peace. Yes, there is. I want you to realize something. You're going to see it in a moment when we read these verses together as we focus in on verse 3 particularly this morning. Not only did Isaiah say you can have peace, but he said you can have perfect peace. Now that's a step beyond, isn't it? Nurse in his peace, but perfect peace. I had a church member a number of years ago who asked me about this verse and its meaning, and that kind of put me into research mode. And I began to dig through the Word of God, and, and I came to several conclusions. According to Scripture, there is peace with God. Romans 5.1 says that since we have been justified through faith, faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Christ Jesus. So we can have peace with God. But secondly, if you study the Word, you discover there is the peace of God. And this is the peace that, that totally surpasses human ability to understand. How is it that we can go through horrific events? How is it that we can live through terrible happenings and still have peace in the midst of all of that? That's the peace of God. The Apostle Paul wrote about that in Philippians chapter 4. He, he told his friends, don't be anxious about anything, but, by, but in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And then there is the idea of world peace. The people say, now you're getting down to it. This is what we don't have. It's on its way, friends. Because see, the concept of world peace as it is found in Scripture is recorded quite, we've looked, I think, at one of its earliest clear junctures in Isaiah chapter 9, verses that we've looked at many times before in the past, when Isaiah said, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. That means he's going to reign. He's going to rule. Everything will be under his control, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, get this, Prince of peace of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end it's coming when Jesus returns that world peace that everyone seems to talk about will be here but what about right now well let's talk about right now if you've got your Bible open Isaiah chapter 26, find verse 1, at the very beginning of the chapter. We're going to read together the first four verses. As we read these verses, if you can, will, I'm going to invite you to stand with me in honor of the reading of God's holy word. The word of the Lord. In that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. God makes salvation its walls and ramparts. Open the gates that the righteous nation may enter. The nation hips faith. You will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever. For the Lord. The Lord is the rock eternal. Now if you would look back at verse 3 once more. You. This is, this is God. You will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in you. Would you pray with me? 
Father, this morning, I just ask you to bless the reading of your word. And I pray that you would take these words, make them take root in our hearts, plant them in our minds, in our thoughts. And Father, give us understanding so that we would understand your greatness and realize that which you desire for your children, those who trust in you, those who follow you, those who walk in your ways. And Father, I pray today for those who are struggling that they might find what they need in your word and through your voice. I pray for those who are hurting that you might bring healing and hope into their lives. For those who are discouraged and ready to quit, that you would give them a vision of the future. Encourage them for what lies ahead. And Father, I pray for those who are apart from you, that today they would hear your voice, your call, and be drawn to you. Now, Father, as we examine and consider your words, I pray that your spirit would speak to each of our hearts at the point of our need. Draw us to yourself. Be glorified in this place and in each life. For I pray these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. How is it that we can find this, this perfect peace? Have this perfect peace in a new year? I think there are some simple things that we've got to do, but Primarily, I want to challenge you with this. Let's focus in on verse 3. Now, please understand, I am not trying to ignore context or anything else. All right? Isaiah was a prophet to the nation of Israel. He was a prophet of Judah. And here he is, and he's talking about this day when the song will be sung in the land of Judah. He's talking about God's people. And he's talking about the city of Jerusalem. We have a strong city. God makes salvation. It's walls. It's ramparts. Open the gates. My, We've heard this. This is echoed throughout the prophet. Open the gates that the king of glory may come in. Open the gates that the righteous nation may enter. Is there such thing as a righteous nation? No, and there is not. But there is a nation made up of citizens of every nation and every tongue and every tribe who are righteous because they have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. And that righteous nation will enter into the city of God. And the nation that keeps faith, that is those people who follow Christ. But I want us to look primarily at verse 3. So if you've got your Bible open, just stick with me right there. Because I want you to see what I saw when I looked at this verse. He tells us here, God will keep in perfect peace. We are directed toward the perfect source of peace, God himself. Isaiah had already called God the source of peace. Back in his earlier chapter, chapter 7, verse 14, you're familiar with it? That's where the prophet had written, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin shall be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. What's Emmanuel mean? God with us. This is the promise of his coming, the coming Messiah, the one whom he later named in Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6, which I read just a moment ago, saying he would be called the Prince of Peace. He's tying this all together for us. You see, my friends, all you've got to do is connect the dots as the promise writing, and here's what you arrive at. God is the source of peace. In that wonderful passage in Isaiah chapter 9, 
he described the revealed character and nature of God. And when he reaches the zenith with all of the, the accolades that he has given to the one who is coming, at the crescendo, he refers to him as the Prince of Peace. Let me ask you, just, I mean, listen, I'm not smart, but even I can figure this one out. Who is the father of a prince? A king. A king sires a prince. And if the Son of God is the Prince of Peace, then the Father must be the King of Peace. Is that not correct? And so you draw this down through, and here's what you have. God is the source of peace. And the prophet wasn't alone in his assessment. The psalmist agreed with him. Long before the prophet ever wrote these words in Psalm 29, verse 11, the psalmist said, the Lord gives strength to his people. The Lord blesses his people with peace. You see, the people of God understand where their peace comes from. It doesn't matter whether you call them Hebrew. It doesn't matter if you call them Christian. It doesn't matter if you call them Jew. It doesn't matter what you call them. Those who trust in the Lord know their peace comes from. It comes from him. God is the source of peace. Paul also agreed in his writings long after the prophet. Romans chapter 15, verse 33, he says, The God of peace be with you all. He understood God is the God of peace. The peace of God, peace that is his, peace that comes from him. He is the source of peace. And the perfect peace that God can grant into our lives is a picture of what is to come. Not in this life, not in this world, but of what lies ahead for all of those who are His and for all of His creation when He makes all things new. God is the perfect source of peace. We have to discover that. Somewhere along the line in life, if you're going to know peace, you have to discover God. You have to allow God to speak into your heart, into your mind, into your life, into your spirit. You have to come to a place of saying, I can't do this on my own. I can't have peace. I can't find peace. I can't make peace. But he can give it to me. God is the source of peace. Once we've found this source of peace we have to discover the perfect solution for peace I want to ask you a simple question did you see where this begins still got your Bible look at verse 3 you God will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast Or maybe your translation says something like this, whose mind is fixed or stayed on you. The one who is locked on God. God will keep in perfect peace those whose mind is locked on him. I want to ask you something. What are you you locked on this morning? What's got control of your brain right now? What are you thinking about? preacher I'm listening to you no you're looking at me you're not listening to me not all of you I hope you are but no I'm I'm honest enough to realize some people are sitting here and they're thinking about lunch they're thinking about what time the kickoff is they're thinking about a million other things let's just be honest so what is it that your mind is fixed on this morning there are so listen I'm not making fun there's so many things clamoring in our world for our attention 
So many things that say to us, I'm important. You need to think about me. You need to get focused on me. Maybe some of you have already turned the calendar page in your mind, even though you've got a couple of days before you go back. Start already thinking about the things that have to be done in the office on Wednesday. You're thinking about where your work day starts and what's going to happen and what you've got to be involved in and the meetings you're going to be engaged in. Or maybe you're still locked in the last newscast you watched last night or this morning early if you were silly enough to turn on the TV before you came to church. And you're hearing again the voice of those people who are crying out, screaming, clamoring for your attention, wanting you to hear their opinion, to receive their opinion, to share their opinions. It's no secret, is it? There's a lot of evil in our world. Wickedness abounds. It grabs our attention. It turns our thoughts. And so often it it leads us to places where our own thoughts become impure, destructive forces within our lives if we're not careful. And this is the reason we are challenged throughout the Word of God to set our hearts on Christ Jesus, to walk in the Word, to walk in the Spirit, to walk in God, to be focused on Him. See, turning our eyes on Jesus allows us to see into the face of one whose peace was never interrupted. Say, wait a minute, you can't say that. Yes, I can. Says he, I know that Scripture says Jesus was angry. I know it says he wept. I know that it says that there were times when he was troubled. But there was never a time in Scripture that I can find where it says he lost focus on who his father was, what his mission was, or what his purpose was. If you've got those three things, my friends, I don't care if you're angry. I don't care if you're upset. I don't care if you're troubled. I don't care if you're mourning or grieving. I'm telling you now, you'll still have peace. Because peace is not run off by those types of emotional things. Our peace is found when our minds and our hearts and our focus is locked upon the one who gives peace. Let me take you back to verse 3. Did you notice the outcome of thinking on him? You will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in you. When you trust in him, when you focus upon the Lord, when you think upon the Lord, when you examine his claims, the working of and the doings of the Lord, it leads you to trust him. Faith in God is what enables us to learn how to deal with the stresses of life. And just a quick very unscientific survey. Anybody in here ever feel stressed? Okay, a handful of people and a whole lot of liars. We all feel stressed at times for different reasons because we all live different lives. But the reality is, here's how we learn to deal with stress. It's when we learn to trust in Him. He gives us peace. Stress does not invade peace. You turn all of that loose. Why? Because you cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Does that sound familiar? It should. It's in the book. You see, you learn to turn loose of things. Why? Because you trust him. And in that trust, faith wins, fear loses.
That's just reality. Faith drives clouds away just as surely as light conquers darkness. We've been talking about that for a couple of weeks with the coming of the Christ child. The darkness never can get itself around the light. The light always wins. Faith wins. Faith always wins. We're directed toward the perfect source of peace. God himself. Trust. He will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast because he trusts. You see, whenever we find that perfect source of peace, we discover the solution for peace. We lock our minds on him. Whenever other things begin to clamor for your attention, whenever you start to feel like he's being pushed out of your mind and other things are taking his place and becoming more important, that's when you need to stop. I don't care what you're doing. I don't care where you're at. Stop, freeze, pray, and ask God to recenter your thoughts. Recenter your heart. Recenter your focus on him. So well, I don't have time to do that. It doesn't take but a second, my friend. He hears the cries of his people when they are pursuing him with all of their hearts. And it'll change the attitude of your heart. What I mean by that is, let me ask a couple of questions. How many of y'all like to sing? How many of you think you can sing? How many of you admit you can't sing? All right, I want to tell you something. You get lined up with the perfect peace and the source of perfect peace, and he is going to give you a perfect song of peace. Your heart is going to resonate with the Lord that will run throughout every aspect of your life. And I know some of you are saying that that doesn't make any sense at all, but it does. We begin to sing a perfect song of peace. And Isaiah knew this song was real. He wasn't just guessing. Got your Bible open still? Go back up to verse 1 with me. Look at what it says. This song will be sung. This song will, what song will be sung? God makes salvation. God makes salvation. We have a strong city. God makes salvation. I don't care if you're in the city. I don't care if you're in the country. God makes salvation. I don't care if you're sick. I don't care if you're well. God makes salvation. I don't care if you're happy or you're sad. God makes salvation. My friend, whatever the situation is that you find yourself in, understand this. Only God makes salvation. When you understand that, all the rest of things begin to fall into place in life. You start focusing not on what's happening in your life, but who is in control of your life. You stop focusing on the things that are going wrong in your life, and you start focusing on the one who is carrying you through every difficulty in life. God makes salvation. That's the song in the heart of those who belong, whose minds and hearts are fixed on him. The joy of salvation puts a song in the hearts of God's people. It's a song that can be sung and will be sung even during difficult times of life. Isaiah knew that there were tough days. I mean, listen, he wasn't living in easy times, but he knew it was fixing to get a whole lot worse for his nation. 
He could see the storm clouds gathering and God had begun to reveal things to him and he knew that there was days of despair that were drawing close. But in his heart, he had focused on the Lord and he knew that the salvation of God would sustain his people through it all. Times were bleak. Can I tell you something? For some of you in this room right now, you'd look at me and you'd say, Preacher, times are bleak. And some of you would say, I, I don't get it. Times are great. The economy's booming. Things are going well. People have got jobs. Can I just say something? You can have all the stuff in the world and times can be bleak. Whenever people shut their hearts and their minds to the Lord and to the word of the Lord, times are bleak. But the future, the future is filled with hope. We're getting ready to start a new year. I just want you to hear me. If you don't hear anything, the future, please, please hear this. The future is bright. The future is filled with hope. And the reason I'm telling you that is because the future is in the hands of God. And God is the one who has set before us his plan. And we've read the end of the book. I know what's coming. The future is bright. Isaiah was looking ahead toward brighter times. He was focused on the future blessings, not the present trials, not the troubles that lay just ahead, but rather the joyous singing of God's people when they returned and came back into their land and they rebuilt their cities and they reclaimed their homes. He wasn't focused on the tears and sorrows of the trials in the moment, but rather he was focused on God's goodness and faithfulness. This great Old Testament prophet, empowered by the Spirit of God, foresaw a time when there would be a great national reviving, a restoration. People who were drawn to God, focused on God, fixed on God. And because of this, he refused to be overcome by the problems in the moment of his day. The theme of his prophetic message is worth repeating today. You can read the book of Isaiah from beginning to end. You can find all of the different messages and themes that are there. There's the promise of Messiah. There's the suffering. But when servant, there are so many different themes that resonate throughout his writings. But when you get to the end of it, here's the one conclusion you cannot avoid. That Isaiah looked at everything God showed him and he in his heart said, the best is yet to come. And can I just share something with you? That's always true for God's people in this world. I try not to rant. I try not to rant against other preachers, other groups. I think it's so very unbecoming for Christian people to rant against others who call themselves Christians. It's the end of a year. That means in another day, I can wipe off the chalkboard, say goodbye to everything I did this year, and move in fresh, right? So indulge me with a moment of rant. I had a Christian person come to me earlier this year and said, Preacher, you have got to read this book. This is the greatest book I've ever read. They are not here this morning. I am not divulging who they are. They're not even a member of this congregation. In less than...
they handed me a copy of a book. In less than 48 hours, it was in the trash after I had torn it to pieces so that no one else would read it. It was entitled, Your Best Life Now. Now, brothers and sisters in Christ, I want you to hear something from me. If you belong to Jesus Christ, it is not possible for you to live your best life now. You can live good. You can be blessed and you can be overwhelmed with his abundance and his provision and his goodness. And he may lead you to grow and to develop and to become more and more than you ever thought possible. But I'm going to tell you right now, no matter how good God is to you in this life, you will never live your best life now. Because the best is what he has waiting for you in eternity. When you step out of this life and into what he has gone to prepare for you, at that point you are going to discover life like you never knew life existed before. And you are going to be blessed in ways that you never knew there were blessings available to fill you with. Now the best is yet to come. So we need to focus on what's right here now. And over. Charles Spurgeon in his writings asked two questions that I've come across over and over as I've read through some of his sermons and his writings and his devotionals. Two questions that I think we ought to ask ourselves periodically. First question is, why are we weak when we have God's divine strength available to us? And the second question is, why are we troubled when the Lord himself has given us his peace? The prophet Ezekiel, I think, asked those same questions. He just lumped them into one smaller question. and He said, how shall we then live? Well, as we race to a new year, I'm going to tell you how we ought to live. We ought to live in the strength of the Lord, filled with his grace, filled with his power, following him, serving him, sharing him. And allowing him to fill us with his joy, no matter what the world throws at us. Say, preacher, that sounds easy, but it's not. Didn't say it was. But it can happen. And it will happen. Heart. If we will fix our minds and our hearts on him. And trust in him. And that right there, friends, is the little piece we've got to underscore. And I've got to put a question mark by. Are you trusting in him? Are you trusting in him for today? Tomorrow? Next week? Are you trusting in him for this life? And that's awesome. But are you trusting him for the next life? Have you claimed him as your Lord and Savior? Have you surrendered your will to him and said, here I am. Warts, wrinkles and all, God. The good, the bad, the ugly. Here I am. Take it and make me what you want me to be. Are you trusting in him? If you are, the future's bright. If you're not, 
Why not start today? I can't think of a better way to end an old year and start a new year than to erase everything that has been and let God begin to write the future that he has for you as his child. Just a moment. Let's bow our heads together. In just a moment, we're going to stand together and sing a song of invitation, commitment, of surrender. The reason is simple. I want to give you the opportunity, having heard a portion of the Word of God, hopefully having heard the voice of the Spirit of God, to, to respond to His call. If you're here this morning and you don't know Him as your Lord and Savior, if you're not following Him, if you don't know His way, let me tell you this, God loves you. He has a plan for your life, but you'll never know that plan until you come to him through faith in Jesus Christ, repenting of your sin, asking his forgiveness, and surrendering your will to his. If you would do that today, if that's, you say, listen, I've been trying to live my life my way. It's not working. I know there's something better. I know there's something more. I want whatever that is. Maybe you don't know how to do it or you're not sure what that means. I want to invite you in a moment. We stand and begin to sing, come take me by the hand and say, Pastor, I want that relationship. I, I won't embarrass you. I won't put you on the spot. But we would love to share with you from the Word of God how today you become, can become a child of the King. Maybe you've just struggled through this past year and you're saying, man, I've, I've made so many missteps. What a great time to talk to God today. And ask him to wash away all of that stuff. Wipe the board clean. And then invite him to write your story for the future. Let him write it. You just live it. And see where he takes you. What do you need to do? What do you need God to do in your life today? Would you invite him to do it? And let him have his way in your life. Father, I thank you today for your word. (laughs) A word that reveals so much about your nature. Who you are. How you work in the lives of your people. Father, throughout all of time, you've called people to trust you. To follow you. To obey you. To walk in your ways. That call has not changed. It's the same today as it was then. And I pray that today you would find hearts that are open, responsive, and willing to hear your call and respond in obedience. Lord, when I look across this room, I see faces, many familiar, some not so much. But when you look in this room, you see every heart, you know every person. You know, every thought, every word, every deed, every action. You know, every moment of pride and every moment of guilt. Father, you're the one who draws us, who convicts us, who, who changes us, who challenges us. I pray that today, in this place, in these moments, you would speak clearly to our hearts. They'd give us open ears, that you'd give us a willingness to obey, to surrender, to give you control so that you might do in each of our lives that which brings glory to you, no matter what it might cost us.
Father, speak that we might hear. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.